Next, the golden days of radio. Hi, this is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past featuring the world's most famous personalities. Those memorable moments when everyone listened to enjoy the make-believe world of radio. On this program, we are featuring vocalist Peggy Lee, Fibber McGee and Molly, an excerpt from the popular comedy show Can You Top This? and Ben Grauer plus Arnold Stang with comedian Henry Morgan. We are originating this program from the Frankfurt studios of the American Forces Network here in Germany. As I've said before, this is one of my favorite places. All the excerpts on this program and for the next three weeks are from the vast library of AFN. They have enough records and transcriptions here to broadcast for 10 years, 24 hours a day without repeating. Well, with that in mind, we'd better get started. Now, from 1952, here's Miss Peggy Lee. You've got a date with Peggy Lee. Welcome to the Peggy Lee Show, an easy breezy Tuesday and Thursday singing session starring one of America's favorite singers, lovely Peggy Lee, with Russ Case and his orchestra, and music with a heartbeat. Tonight, Peggy's special guest is the young Mercury recording star, Richard Hayes. And now, here she comes, Peggy Lee. She's all fine and dandy, sugar candy, when I'm with you, then I only see the sunny side, even trouble has its funny side, when you're gone, sugar candy, I get lonesome, I get so blue, when you're handy, it's fine and dandy, but when you're gone, what can I do? When you're gone, sugar candy, I get lonesome, I get so blue. When you're handy, it's fine and dandy, but when you're gone, what can I do? When you're gone, what can I do? When you're gone, what can I do? I've said it before and I'll say it again. Henry Morgan is one of the all-time comedy geniuses. This excerpt from the 40s features Ben Grauer, Charles Irving, Arnold Stang, and Henry Morgan with The March of Science. As a public service, we present another in the series... The March of Science. The March of Science, a tribute to the great scientific discoveries which have benefited mankind. Tonight, we bring you the discovery of time. Time. Without it, the march of time would have no place to go. Without time, the bull of a watch company would be making peanuts. Today, we have many varieties of time. Eastern Standard, Daylight Saving, Lunch Time, Rag Time, Hot Time, and Time You Got Home, You Tramp. But 
What of the time before time was discovered? Then people had no time for pleasure, no time for play, no time for work, because time hadn't been invented yet. There were no seconds, no minutes, no hours, no five o'clock shadow. How was time discovered? What genius of mankind first saw its great possibilities? Time was discovered in the year they called Who Knows. <laughs> there were two young brothers, scientists and idealists, who stayed in their room all day trying to discover things. Some people called them dreamers. Their mother called them bums. <laughs> their names were Dick and Frank Merriwell. One day, while their mother was out scrubbing floors, Frank and Dick were preparing their favorite breakfast of medium-boiled eggs. Are you ready, Dick? Yes, I put the eggs in the hot water. Oh, good. Now we'll boil them just right. Um, put your hand in the water with the eggs. Okay. My arm's turning red. Redder. Soft-boiled. It's getting blue. Purple. Well, the eggs are done. Hey, uh, how does your arm feel? Every day I go to the doctor about my arm, and every day he tells me the same thing. What's that? Stop eating eggs. Oh, don't worry, Dick. Don't worry. Someday I'll discover a new way to figure out when an egg is done. Frank, don't say such wild things. They'll burn you as a witch. You may think I'm crazy, Dick, but remember, you laughed at Robert Fulton. Well, did you see that suit he was wearing? <laughs> Dick, I want to tell you, I've made up my mind. Someday, we're going to discover how long it takes from now till later. Well, I'll see you after a while. When? What do you mean, when? All right, who? <laughs> We're going to work together and discover when, Dick. Because we're brothers. We eat together, we sleep together. You even wear all my clothes. And from now on... Yes? Cut it out. And so the two daring brothers started their revolutionary experiments. First, they tried to measure time by burning candles. Frank started at one end, Dick at the other end. And they invented the process of burning candles at both ends. There were many discouragements. One day, Dick and Frank accidentally sat on the candles. This was known as burning their ends at both candles. <laughs> they forged ahead. All right, now, watch this candle burn. Now, you see the notches I cut in the candle? Now, when the flame reaches the first notch, we eat lunch. When it reaches the second notch, we eat supper. And the third notch means it's night. Time to go to sleep. Remarkable. We shall call this process burn us notches. Frank, candle is burned down to the end Do you realize what this means? Yes What? We need another candle But still the fearless brothers carried on They tried another experiment Hey, look, Dick yeah. I'll attach this wire to the battery Yeah Now, you hold the other end of the wire Let's see how long it takes me to walk from the battery to you In other words... You're going to walk from me to the battery. What's the matter with the words I used? Oh, well, uh, the battery is ready. All right, I'm holding the wire. Here I come. Wait! What? Your bow tie just lit up. He can't, Frank. We've just discovered electricity. Yes, failed again. I got another one. Hey, Dick, yeah. I put this stick in the ground, see, right in the sunlight. Mm -hmm. In the morning, the stick throws a shadow that's long. Then the shadow gets shorter, and when the sun is right above us, the stick has no shadow at all. 
Frank, it's incredible. What are your conclusions? I've got to have that stick. <laughs> it, it, it's not the stick. Look. Look, I, I, I'll put a lot of sticks in the ground. I'll put 24 sticks in the ground. Now watch. He can't, Frank. They all work. Those 24 sticks are mine. No, Dick, they're mine. They're mine. I know what. What? We'll call them ours. <laughs> and so the 24 hours were discovered. It was child's play for these two geniuses to break their sticks into minutes and seconds. And since they had the minds of children, they did it. <laughs> and so time was discovered. Since that momentous day, time has become decisive in our lives. But it remains a mysterious element, confusing to many people. I'm finished now. The bathtub's all fixed. Oh, oh, thanks, Plummer. I'll pay you. Uh, how long did it take you to fix the bathtub? An hour. That hour is really a minute. Now, listen to this. Uh, Gloria, I'm here. Okay, John, I'll be down in a minute. That minute is really an hour. <laughs> Time is now indispensable. Trains run by it. Businesses operate with it. Radios depend on it. Prisoners do it. <laughs> but what of the future of time? Science continues its experiments. Here in our studio tonight is Dr. Heinrich Morgan Einstein, prominent physicist, metaphysicist, and chemist-physicist. <laughs> Doctor, I understand that you've been working on the fourth dimension, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I finished with the fourth dimension. I could put the Ausgespiel. It's all done. I've done it. In other words? Uh, in other words, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'm now working on the fifth dimension. Uh, well, in simple terms, Doctor, could you tell us what the fifth dimension is? Well, of course, uh, you take the fourth dimension, add one, and you... <laughs> you got it there. That's very, very interesting, Doctor. It is? Then why am I so sleepy? Well, uh, Doctor, how would you say the uses of time are progressing in our society? Well, I would say... Uh, the uses of time are progressing in our society. Did I say that right? In conclusion, Doctor, would you like to tell us a little something about the theory of relativity? No. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> Fibber McGee and Molly were the number one radio show for many years with their Tuesday night half-hour program on NBC. While we're here at AFN in Germany, we plan to feature a complete Fibber McGee and Molly show. That'll be heard in several weeks. In the late 50s, they also appeared in four-minute bits on the NBC weekend radio program Monitor. Here's Jim and Marion Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> What's so funny, McGee? <laughs> I'm just looking at these old snapshots of you I found up in the attic. I says I was just I looking. heard you. Oh. I heard you. Personally, I thought they were pretty good. Boy, shucks, kiddo. You were a lot more good looking than these pictures. Look at them shadows under your eyes. Why, the fellow that took these snapshots must have had his dark room in a lighthouse. I could do better than that on a rainy night with a wet safety match for a flashbulb. I had no idea you were so well acquainted with photography, McGee. Acquainted with it? Why, me and photography are as close as long winter underwear, Molly. That's close. Why, when I was a kid, I could snap a shutter so fast that it would catch a gnat in the middle of batting its eyelids. <laughs> I didn't know gnats batted their eyelids, McGee. Shucks. Gnats are the fastest eyelid batters known to man. When you're photographing stuff, you got to know your subject. Why, I used to sit there staring at them gnats till they was bug-eyed. 
Now you take these snapshots I found in the attic. I don't know. I think they're good, McGee. They were taken with a little brownie. Looks more like they were taken by a little brownie. The guy that took these didn't have any technique. If you're going to be a real artist these days, you got to be an abstractionist, Molly. Abstractionist? Yeah, one of them. Now, if I was going to take this snapshot of you, I'd get the real you in it. You don't think he captured the real me, huh? Heck no. He took all of you, head to toe. If I was going to take this picture, I'd take a picture of your little toe or them dimples in your elbow or something. No. Why, I'd have you swinging your arms around in the middle of the air. Then I'd set the lens at f5.2, and then I'd snap the shutter and stop them dimples cold at 16 six thousandths of a foot per second coming or going. Well, that might be a very artistic picture, McGee, but who'd know it was me? That's the whole thing, Molly. You don't want him to know. You don't? Why, heck no. The highest praise an artist can get is when people look at his picture and say, yeah, but what is it? <laughs> if they can understand it, he ain't worth the powder it'd take to blow up his tripod. Well, you're probably right, dearie. I'll admit I don't know much about photography, but I still like these old snapshots. Yeah, they've got a certain amount of sentimental value. Oh, they were taken by some guy you were going with at the time, is that it? Well, something like that. Well, whoever he was, the dude that took these snapshots didn't know his Kodak from his elbow. McGee. Why, I could take better... McGee, hmm? the fellow that took these snapshots was you. Who, me? You took them a week before we were married. You know something, Molly? What? Now that I look at these snapshots, they're not so bad at that, you know it? They're kind of early primitive. I see what you mean, McGee. And here's Fibber and Molly with another sequence as Fibber tries to get his camera in focus. That rat, the dead rat of thing. Oh, what's wrong, McGee? Ah, oh, this camera's busted, Molly. When you look through it, all you can see is something that looks like the end of your thumb. It is your thumb. Huh? You got it over the lens. Oh, <laughs> That was just a little joke. I knew it was my thumb all the time. How much longer do you think I'll have to sit under these hot lights, McGee? I'm beginning to tan. Just as soon as I get this camera set up for a still-life action shot of you. By golly, I ought to be able to make a fortune out of this photography stuff, Molly. I might even become a sidewalk cameraman. What in the world is a sidewalk cameraman? That's one of those guys that snaps candid portrait studies of how you look walking down the street. Oh. Why, I could sit out on the front porch snapping artistic poses and attitudes of various and sundry people marching up and down our block all day long. That sounds like a good idea. I might even go over to Wistful Vista Park and shoot some human interesting shots of young lovers battling around in their canoes. Don't you think it'd be a good idea to stay away from there, dearie? What you mean? Remember the time you tried to take a snapshot of me in a canoe? You fell out, high-button shoes and all. Yeah, maybe you're right, kiddo. Gee, I can still see my ukulele floating off with a frog sitting on it. Say, so you never did get that ukulele back, did you? Ah, that was an awful sight, Molly, watching your E-flat ukulele sink in ten feet of water. I know how you felt. How you coming with the camera? Just a second now. I gotta measure you with this light meter to make sure I don't get a double exposure. That's when you come out looking like somebody else, you know. Well, don't let that happen. I have hard enough time looking like myself. With Rembrandt McGee on the job, you got nothing to worry about, kiddo. I figure by the time I get through with this self-portrait photograph of you, I can enter it in a camera contest and win us a trip to Europe for two. You mean if you get through with it. These lights are getting hotter every second. Okay, kiddo. We're all ready to shoot the picture. Now sit up straight. Like this? Lean a little bit to the left. Wait a minute, McGee. Don't talk, Molly. You'll spoil the mood. But, McGee... Smile, Molly. McGee... Smile, Molly. I'm all set to snap the greatest snapshot that was ever took. McGee... Hold it, Molly. Hold it. Right there. There. That don't win the prize, I'll refuse to join the Academy of Snapshot Takers and Developers. What was it you were trying to say? I'm sure it was a great work of art, dearie, but you forgot one little thing. What? You didn't put any film in the camera. <laughs> Another popular comedy program of the 40s was Can You Top This?, 
a show on which some of the famous wits of the day tried to top a joke sent in by a listener. Can you top this? Welcome to another laugh session with Can You Top This? And starring Harry Hirschfield. Howdy. Former governor of New Jersey, Harold G. Hoffman. On a cut and I am... Senator Ford. Good evening. And now, transcribed, here is your master of ceremonies for Can You Top This? Ward Wilson. Thank you, Jack Costello. Can You Top This? is unrehearsed and spontaneous, and our top rule is keep them laughing. Everybody's invited to send in a joke, and if your story is told by Peter Donald, you start with $25. Each time a wit ties or tops you, you lose $5. In addition, if you top all our wits, you'll receive a recording of Peter Donald telling your story on the air. Laughs are registered on the Can You Top This Laugh Meter in full view of our studio audience, and in all cases, the decision of our judges is final. Everybody on the mark, set, and ready to go. Are you gentlemen? Right. Yeah, I feel all right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all nice and uh, clean tonight, all shining faces, so uh, let's get ready with another session of the show, shall we? One, two, three, eeny, meeny, moe. All right, here's the first joke we have submitted tonight from Mrs. E. Levy of Revere, Massachusetts. Uh, that's where they make that copperware, I believe. And the subject is uh, tenants. Tenants. Did you get that, sense? Tennis? Tenants. T-E-N-A-N-T-S. We'll take one on tennis if you People have it. People pay landlords, you mean. <laughs> well, tennis or tenants, Pete, it's in your lap. Okay, this is about a little Irish lady, little Mrs. Finn. And she ran a very cozy boarding house upstate. And once she rented a furnished room to a Scottish fellow by the name of Angus MacLeod. And by occupation, he's a bagpipe player. And he used to march up and down the room all day playing the bagpipes. And uh, this is part of the routine. They have to move up and down when they're... Well, they can't stand still. It's too easy a target, you know. They got to keep moving up and down. (laughs) Well, this was tough enough to take the noise, but also this guy didn't pay any rent. Never paid the rent. So finally she thought she ought to pay a little call on him. So she goes up and knocks on the door and Scotty comes out. He says, oh, come in, Mrs. Finn. Sit yourself, dude. She says, um, oh, thank you kindly, Mr. McLeod. I just wanted to know if you were satisfied with your room. Oh, he says, it's a wonderful room. It's a fine room. Gives me lots of space, you know. I can march up and down with my bagpipes. She says, oh, is that what it is? I thought you were trying to walk away from the noise or something. He says, oh, no, my dear woman. He says, I was just playing that marvelous old Scottish air, The Campbells Are Coming. She says, well, I don't care whether the Campbells are coming or not. But the landlord's coming tomorrow. And I've got a little problem. You haven't paid your rent for nearly two months. Well, no, he says, um, he says, I know that woman, but you see, as soon as I get my bagpipes all tuned up, he says, I'm going to get a job with Spike McJones, his big bladder, and his orchestra. And he says, I'll be full of money then. Well, she says, I'll tell you what I'll do. You look like an honest man. So I'm willing to forget half of what you owe me. He says, you're willing to forget half of what you owe me. He says, just to show you what a good sport I am, I'll forget the other half. <laughs> That was between 850 and 900, Peter. Being in the generous mood, 900 is the amount. Mrs. Levy starts out with $25, and we start out with uh, Harold Hoffman. Uh, Ward, there was a, a man who went to call upon different people in the neighborhood, and he went to this one man, and he, uh, the collector, the solicitor, had tears running out of his eyes, and he said, don't you want to help subscribe to this? He said... Don't you want to contribute some money toward a fund? He said, for a poor widow with three little children who is about to be evicted from her home. And 
The fellow said to him, well, who is this hard, heartless landlord? He said, it's me. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 350 was the amount that time, Harold. Can you top this laugh meter? It's a pleasure to have Mrs. Levy still at the $25 stage. And uh, let's call on Harry Hirschfield next. Well, you can always borrow a story from the greatest of all storytellers in the world, the immortal Walter C. Kelly. And he used to tell a story of, uh, there was one big bruiser of a tenant. He didn't like that other tenant. This neighbor, he used to beat him up all the time, and this little neighbor used to bring him to court all the time, bruised and battered. He was an awful sight. And finally, the judge said, listen, isn't it possible for tenants to live together in peace? Why can't neighbors live in peace? Or he's always bringing you in here for beating them up. And he said, I'll tell you something. I've been very lenient with you. The next time he brings you in here for beating them up, you're going to go for the full limit of the law. Remember that. He says, I remember it, Your Honor. Three weeks later, this little guy, battered worse than ever, is brought in, brings this big guy in. And the judge says, what did I tell you? He said, just a minute, Your Honor. I listened to what you told me. And I was sitting with him very peaceful on the porch. And everything was fine. And he says to me, I know why you're so peaceful and not hitting me. Because you're afraid of that no good, crooked, cockeyed judge. When he said that to you, Your Honor, I bust him right in the jaw. <laughs> Kelly should have got more. Uh, poor Waller. Uh, 750 was about that time, Harry. It's good he didn't hear this. Yes, just as well. Once again, you failed to top Mrs. Levy's 900, and, uh, Sen, you're the only one left. Well, well, here's one that Harry didn't remind me of. <laughs> this is about a tenant who phoned the police that there was a fight going on on the, fl on the floor above, and when a cop arrived at the upstairs apartment house door, he heard... Furniture being thrown around, a lot of screaming and shouting, all the evidence of a Pier 6 brawl. So he rapped at the door, and a disheveled woman came to the door, and he said, who's the head of this family? He said, you wait here five minutes, and I'll let you know. That's what we're trying to settle now. <laughs> well, you spurled it, Senator. You got a thousand on it. Can you stop this laugh meter? But uh, that only reduces Mrs. Levy. <laughs> only reduces Mrs. Levy five dollars. So we send along twenty dollars with all of our compliments. Good luck. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio from Frankfurt, Germany. And now, here's a final reminder. In a recent speech, President Nixon suggested that the time has come to accentuate the positive, to point out what is right about America. As citizens in uniform, all of you are American ambassadors, no matter where you're stationed. In performing your military duties and in your civilian contacts, you are a reflection of America and our way of life. Here's a quote for you to remember. Our nation is founded on the principle that the individual has infinite dignity and worth. That applies not only to your relationship with people in other countries, but with each other, too. This is Frank Brizzy in Germany. Join me next time for The Golden Days of Radio. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.